All right, good morning, everybody. Let's uh, open up with a word of prayer, and we'll uh, get things started here, and we'll just let people kind of filter in as we go. Let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we just ask your blessing upon uh, this day, and as we look into your word, uh, we also ask your blessing upon the service to follow and, and everything that we do here today, and we just uh, pray that you would be glorified in it all, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. Okay. Uh, can we turn the lights up a little bit? We had like a request to turn the lights up because uh, the, uh, it's a little, it is a little dim in here. Uh, what's that? Yeah. Yeah, if we can just uh, brighten it up in here a little bit, it's, people are having a hard time reading their Bibles. There we go. All right. Thank you, everybody. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, and we're going to close out the discussion we were on last week. Um, we didn't you know, get the verses, we didn't quite get the chance to finish. I'm going to read verses 4 through 6, and, and then we'll discuss them. And then when we're done with that, we're going to move into uh, a look at what the Old Testament has to say about the, uh, the millennial kingdom, about the, 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 the kingdom of the Messiah. Uh, so let's read uh, verses 4 through 6 of uh, Revelation 20. I saw thrones in which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. All right, uh, a couple things we want to look at here. First of all, he said he saw, saw thrones uh, on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. Now, the real question here is who are the, these people? Like, who are the ones that, that are on these thrones? Um, the very next people that are talked about are the, the martyrs of the, of the tribulation. Uh, remember, and, and again, we keep kind of referring back to this, but remember back to the time uh, that we saw the souls of the martyrs underneath the, uh, the you know, throne of God in heaven, and they were crying out, how long will it be, God, until you, you know, bring justice essentially and 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 bring justice upon those who did this to us and the answer is the answer to them was it'll be a little while yet basically you're going to have to wait until all of the the martyrs uh you know have have been taken all all that are going to be killed during the tribulation have all been killed uh well it, we've talked about this a couple times that this is now that time, as we have come to the end here of the tribulation and the second coming of Christ, this is the time where God, you know, brings judgment upon those enemies. He's already defeated them in battle, uh, and now we see these thrones set up to judge. So the next people that are talked about are these who, you know, were killed during the tribulation. And it says they didn't take the mark of the beast, they didn't worship the, the Antichrist or the beast. You know, so they're, they're, they have this great testimony of the fact they didn't succumb to, to the beast during the tribulation. Many think that the thrones in, in the first part of verse 4 are set up for them. Okay, let me again, just let me read verse 4. I saw thrones in which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. Okay, so some people connect kind of the first half of the verse and the second half of the verse, and they say that the ones that are going to be sitting on those thrones are going to be the martyrs during the tribulation period. 
Others say no, that, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that those two are connected. Uh, it's, it could be just a statement. I saw a throne set up, and then I also saw these martyrs, and they don't necessarily equal the same thing. So there are different camps on how this is to be interpreted. Some say that this is talking about the, the, the 24 elders, that they were the ones that will be sitting on these thrones judging, and they base that upon things that are said earlier in, in the text. Others look at it and they say, well, you know, the Bible in many different places talks about a lot of different believers that sitting on thrones and judging. In fact, at one point, the, Jesus said to, the, to his disciples that, that they would, you know, sit on the thrones and they would judge uh, Israel, judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And so, you know, the, the, the opinions on this vary anywhere from this being the 24 elders on one side of things to being all, basically all believers on the other side, <coughs> excuse me, and then in the middle, you have those who believe that this is, you know, just these martyrs. <coughs> my take on this, and, and this, is, this is just my take, but it is one that's shared by, actually, you know, both of the commentaries I've been using most regularly, they kind of share this take too. Um, the emphasis of this passage is clearly on these martyrs. They're the, the subject of this. They, they, the emphasis is on them. Again, let me uh, you know, continue to read a little bit. It talks about how they had this testimony. They didn't accept the, uh, the mark of the beast. They did not worship the beast or its image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And the next thing it says is they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, Reigning and judging are not necessarily the same thing, but they do seem to be connected in some way in this passage. So I think this is most likely talking about these martyrs. You know, they, they asked God, how long will it be until you avenge us, basically? And God said, just wait. Wait until the complete number of you are, are completed. But now we see, and that's hard for us, that you know, that's always been hard for God's people when we say, God, we want it now, we want it now, why can't it happen now? And God says, wait. Especially when it comes to suffering. But, you know, we always say this, but we have a harder time living with it, and that's that God has his own timing. You know, and, and we see that here. God's told them to wait, but now we see kind of the payoff. They are resurrected, their, their bodies are resurrected uh, and, and joined together with their souls and they are, you know, it, it appears that they are, are there to rule with Christ and to, to uh, sit on these, these thrones of, of, of judgment. Now, it is true, that, that and we will see that here uh, shortly as we look into kind of the old, uh, what the Old Testament has to say about, uh, you know, about the millennial uh, kingdom, we will see that, that numerous people have, are told throughout Scripture that they will sit on thrones and judge during the, 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 you know, the kingdom of God. So they are not the only ones, but it does seem that they are the focus here. You know, that's it. That's just the thing. This is kind of a, uh, building off of what we saw earlier in the text. This is God's kind of answer to them that, you know, hey, you had to wait until all the martyrs had been martyred, but now this is the payoff for you. This is, you know, you will sit with me. You, I, I, you will sit on thrones with me, and you will judge, and, and, and I know I made you wait, but see what, what, what you have now. You know, just be patient. That's, that's, you know, so this is kind of the answer to that, that previous question, and you have to remember, you know, that's a lot of what we see in Revelation. John is, is you know, he, he keeps things pretty tight within the book. Yes, he's talking about, you know, he's drawing on a lot of things from the Old Testament, but he's also consistent within what he writes within the book. And, and that question has kind of been out there unanswered, and we were, and, and, you know, all we know is God said, hey, you just, you'll have to wait. Well, now we're kind of getting the answer to that. You know, and that's something that we see, see uh, you know, John do throughout this, uh, throughout the book. Uh, you know, 
And so I do think the emphasis here is on the martyrs, that they are probably the ones who are sit on these thrones. Now, that doesn't mean they're the only ones. There'll be others sitting on thrones, and like I said, we'll see that here in a little bit. We'll kind of develop that as we go. Uh, but I do think that that's probably the emphasis in this particular passage. Um, they, you know, they, they come to, to life here. Uh, you know, it says in, in verse 5 and 6, it says, they, they, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. Uh, now, who is this talking about? Uh, you know, and it, it says that this is the first resurrection, referring back to the, you know, the martyrs, you know, their bodies being resurrected. Well, some take that, well, see, this is the first resurrection. This is, you know, this is the first one that kind of ever takes place. Well, we know that's not the case because Jesus was resurrected. We saw Jesus bring other people back from the dead. First uh, Corinthians tells us that Jesus is the first fruits of resurrection. So it's kind of that first resurrection, essentially, a lot of scholars see that as, you know, as all kind of one thing. It's not necessarily a, a, a matter of kind of order, like one, two, three. It's more a matter of, uh, of kind of what is happening in the resurrection. The first resurrection is a resurrection onto life. The second resurrection is a resurrection onto death and judgment. And Jesus is the first fruits of that resurrection onto life. You know, he, he is the one who, uh, you know, even the other ones that Jesus resurrected from the dead, they, they would die again later. You know, Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead, but, you know, we have, you know, Lazarus would die again later on. Jesus, when he was resurrected from the dead, would never die again. And the Bible calls him the first fruits of that resurrection, of a resurrection onto life or onto eternal life. Uh, and and he, he goes on later in 1 Corinthians and says, Jesus first and then all who are his at, at his coming. You know, and so we've already talked about the, the, the rapture and the debate uh, within Christianity over, over the rapture, uh, but that is a type, again, of resurrection. Uh, and then you see uh, the resurrection here of these ones who were martyred during the tribulation uh, and their bodies resurrected and united with you know, with their, their, their souls. And so uh, that seems to be what it's talking about here. And the ones who are not, the rest of the dead that were not resurrected are the lost ones, the ones who, who died without Christ during the, the, you know, the, the, the tribulation, that they are not resurrected uh, at this time, that their resurrection will come later on. And we will see that actually uh, um, either next week or the week after we're going to look you know, kind of come back to chapter 20 and look at, at kind of that judgment of Satan and, and uh, you know, his followers, what we call the, the, the great white throne judgment. Uh, there's really two, uh, you know, kind of major judgments that, that the Bible speaks of uh, in other places other than Re Revelation. And, and uh, you know, we see the, the, what we call the Bema Seat judgment, uh, which is the judgment of Christians. And it's not a judgment in order to like, you know, for punishment to send people to hell. It's a judgment uh, to give reward, you know, where Christians will be rewarded for what they, you know, their service to Christ and, and, and how they have, have uh, lived out their faith, uh, you know, given crowns of, 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 of service for, for Christ. Then the great white throne judgment, of course, is a completely different thing. That is a judgment only of the lost. Uh, believers have no place within that, you know, other than possibly sitting there with Christ as he judges. Uh, but, but that is a judgment of the lost, and, and it all ends in the same way. It ends with condemnation and, and eternity in hell. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll look more at that later on, but that is what is being talked about here. It says, this is the first resurrection, talking about those those martyrs who are resurrected, they are a part of the first resurrection that Jesus essentially inaugurated. He was the first fruits of that. And all resurrection, re resurrection of believers, uh, you know, is a part of that first resurrection. The, it says, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death 
has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. You know, and, and so you get the idea of that first resurrection is, is all those who belong to Christ. And they'll be resurrected uh, and, 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 you know, live in eternity with him and reign with him, uh, you know, for a thousand years in his, uh, in his kingdom. It talks about the second death. Second death has no power over them. Second death is, is you know, we, we all, are, the Bible says we're, it's appointed to man once to die. Uh, you know, and then comes the judgment. Now, even, even people who are, are raptured, uh, you know, in, in a way, it's, it's, it's a type of death because the Bible says you're translated, you're completely changed. You, you know, you, you essentially get a, a new body. And so, uh, it, it, you know, this, that's, the first death is the normal death of our existence. Second death is essentially hell. It's eternity without Christ, you know, and so those who are part of the first resurrection, you know, they, second death has no power over them. They, they, they won't experience that. But all the ones who are part of essentially the second resurrection, and it's funny, it never actually uses the term second resurrection, even though it will talk later on about people being resurrected and being judged and, you know, in the end, cast into into hell uh you know so that kind of second resurrection is a, is a resurrection on to puni- punishment and, and eternal damnation um you know and so that's uh, both the second death and essentially the second second resurrection um let me just kind of read a comment here to you from uh dr patterson's commentary um Says John remarks that the, oops, excuse me John remarks that the rest of the dead uh, did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. Again, there will there has been debate over the precise group intended here. Almost certainly, this is a reference to the unrighteous dead, uh, who, as one will momentarily observe, face a judgment at the conclusion of the millennial period. That seems to be the purpose of the statement uh, that those who are alive and reigning with Christ for a thousand years constitute the first resurrection. Since Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection, and then those are his at his coming, and these are now joined by the resurrected righteous dead from the tribulation period, the first resurrection is not emphasizing order, but life. In other words, the first resurrection is a resurrection to eternal life, while the second resurrection will be a resurrection to damnation. This is exactly what is found in the fifth beatitude. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The negation of this would be that those who are a part of the second resurrection are neither blessed nor holy. But these who are a part of the first resurrection discover that the second death has no power over them. This again is not the case for those in the second resurrection or the resurrection to judgment. The, uh, their deaths become an agonizing realization of eternity. And I thought he said that well, summed some that up well. Uh, you know, they are told here that they will be priests and they will reign uh, with Christ for a thousand years. I, I just want to read um, a couple comments here and then we're going to take a look at what the Old Testament says about that reign. Okay, so let me just kind of in closing out this section read uh, a couple comments from uh, both Dr. Osborne and Dr. Patterson here about what they, uh, they, they say about this. First from... The Baker exegetical commentary. So the second part, chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, stresses another major theme of the book, the vindication of the saints. In Matthew 19, 28, Jesus promised the disciples they would sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes. In 1 Corinthians 6, 2, Paul said the saints will judge the world. Then in Revelation 2.26, the saints will have authority over the nations, and in 3.21, they will sit with Christ on his throne. This prepares for, for uh, Revelation 6, 9 through 11, where the martyred saints are promised that at the proper time, they would be vindicated. That vindication took place in stages, but it is finalized in Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6, where the saints sit on thrones and judge the nations for a thousand years. 
In verses 5 and 6, the contrast between saint and sinner comes to the fore, and this has strong evangelistic potential. Every non-Christian must be aware that only believers will experience the first resurrection. For unbelievers, the only resurrection they will experience will be the one that leads to the second death, but that will have no power over the Christian. The believer will, will know only life, but the unbeliever will have only eternal death. Again, you know, it, pretty succinctly stated. Uh, and then uh, just kind of close out here what uh, Dr. Patterson writes about this. For many who find the idea of a literal reign of Christ on the earth to be somewhat improbable, the objection is voiced that this is the only place in the Bible where the thousand years is mentioned. This affirmation is correct, but even without the express statement of a period of time, the Old Testament prophets are abound with kingdom age expectations. There can be little doubt that the prophets themselves, and certainly those who read their prophecies, anticipated a literal fulfillment of those prophecies. This seems to be the intent of the question by the disciples addressed to Jesus after his resurrection, when they said, Lord, are, are you at this point? time going to restore the kingdom to Israel. That's in Acts 1, 6. This is right before he goes back into heaven. So we see what their expectation was, that, that Christ was going to set up his kingdom. It says, Jesus did not tell them that the question was irrelevant, but rather it was not for them to know the times or the seasons which made up the timetable of God. Rather, they were to be witnesses until that time came. I've always found Jesus' answer to them to be very telling. If there, were no, if there was not to be a literal kingdom, you couldn't get a better time to correct that. Hey, no, guys, hey, you, the church is going to be the kingdom. You guys you know, go down here and you set up everything and that'll be taken care of. Jesus just says, no, it's not for you to know that the time when that's coming. Instead, I want you to be faithful. You know, I want you to be on the lookout, and I want you to be faithful, and, and God will take care of when this stuff takes place, okay? So it, it's, it is an interesting answer that he gives to them, because he could have corrected it very, uh, very easily at that point. Therefore, the thousand years stipulated there should be taken literally in an anticipated fulfillment, not only of what is promised here, but also what is promised extensively through most of the Old Testament prophets. Well, that's our segue. Um, that's what we're going to do the rest of today and whatever we can get done and possibly uh, next week if we can't get it all done today, we're going to look at what the Old Testament prophets say about the kingdom of Christ. Okay, yeah. Okay. Well, you are kind of jumping ahead. Hold on. <laughs> we'll we'll get we'll, we'll discuss that more as as we go on here as we kind of look at what the Old Testament says about the millennial kingdom. Yeah. Um first thing that I, I want to kind of stress in what the Old Testament says about the millennial kingdom is that it is the kingdom of the Messiah. It is the kingdom of the Christ. That, that is, the, is, is the major emphasis of almost everything that the Old Testament has to say. That when this anointed one would come, the, the, the Messiah, when, when he would come, you know, he would set up a kingdom and, and, and he would rule. I want to look at, at, at you know, we're going to look at an extensive amount of, ver of verses today in the Old Testament. So do some figure exercises, get yourself ready, because uh, we're going we're gonna to be doing, doing a lot of turning pages here. I, I want to start by looking at Psalms uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. I should have brought my old Bible because I can find stuff quicker in it. It's more broke in. <laughs> Psalms 2, 6 through 8, and we had actually read part of this earlier in, in, in talking about the coming of Christ, uh, and, and it says here, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will pro pro proclaim the Lord's decree. 
He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Remember we talked about that. That didn't mean he only became his father in like a literal sense at that point. It's kind of like saying this is your inauguration day. You're my son. Today you kind of take your, your throne uh, here, I'm like, I'm your dad, I'm giving you, you know, your, your throne. Um, he says, ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Uh, so we see here, and then of course he goes on to talk about ruling them with a rod of iron, which is why we were talking about it earlier. Uh, but see, we see here that the Psalms uh, start to anticipate the Messiah's reign. Uh, talking about there's a day when God the Father will say to his son, son, this is the day. This is the day. Here's your throne. Ask and I'll give you the nations, okay, and you'll rule over them. Uh, and, and so we, we see that here, Messiah uh, as the king. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. And you might just want to put a marker in Isaiah today because we're going to spend a lot of time in Isaiah over the course of the day here. Isaiah has an awful lot to say about the kingdom of God. So Isaiah 2 verse 3. Many people will come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that, that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the, of the Lord from Jerusalem. So again, here we see that, that you know, the, the Messiah, the anointed one, will have his kingdom. But we also learn something more here. We learn that the capital of this kingdom is Jerusalem. So not only will the kingdom be Christ's kingdom, but the center of it will be Jerusalem, will be uh, the, you know, God's holy city. Uh, that, that will be a place, and we'll see that. That's a theme we're going to see repeated often in what we look at, uh, as people coming to Jerusalem, to, to the Messiah, and to his, to his kingdom, and, and, and you know, his city being at the center of all that. We also see that connection between uh, the Christ and the Davidic covenant and being part of the line of David. Uh, if you guys pay any attention during like the Christmas holiday and what we, we read there, that is a, a major connection with, with what is happening with the birth of Christ, that connection to the Davidic line. Uh, I want to look real quickly just at, at what that is based upon, uh, 2 Samuel in verse, uh, chapter 7, and actually there's several passages, one in Chronicles 2 we could look at, but uh, this one passage will suffice us for, for today. Uh, 2 Samuel 7, we're going to start with the second half of, of verse uh, 11 and read through verse 16. 2 Samuel 7, I heard somebody ask. Um, it says, I will also give rest uh, from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Now he's speaking here to David, by the way, and David wanted to build God a house. He wanted to build a temple. And God said, no, 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 you're not building my house. Your hands are too bloody. I, I, I'll have your son build my house, but you know what I'm gonna do for you, David? I'm gonna build you a house. I'm gonna build you a, a, a dynasty, essentially. Uh, so that's what we kind of see happening here. The Lord speaking to David. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Speaking here of Solomon. Solomon would be the one who would take over the, that next kind of step from, from David. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish uh, the throne of his kingdom forever. Now you notice that it goes from talking about, okay, you're going to have, you know, one of your sons is going to take over, he's going to build my house, I'll establish his kingdom. But you notice it said the, the kingdom will be established forever. Now that doesn't mean there'll never be a break in the line of that kingdom, that just means that 
you know, in eternity, that kingdom will go on and on and on. And, you know, it, it will be the kingdom essentially, uh, you know, that will be there at the end. So I'll establish your kingdom, kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. You remember, you know, Solomon sinned and sinned in some pretty mighty ways. But despite all he did and despite the, how God punished him, God never removed his hand from Solomon the way he did Saul, okay? The reason he didn't was not because Solomon, you know, was this pristine guy. It was because of the promises that God made to David. And, and God anticipated all those things. He said to David, look, this is going to happen. I'm going to punish him, but I won't remove my hand from him. Not like I did with Saul. So that, you know, that's what happens, uh, happened with Solomon. And in verse 16, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Going well beyond Solomon or, or any other, uh, you know, physical descendant of David, there's this concept of I'm going to establish a kingdom and once I fully establish it, once it kind of comes to full fruition through one of your descendants, it will be a kingdom without end. You know, and this is what we call the Davidic covenant. And the Jewish people kind of always understood this to be one day there was a descendant of David coming. And with him, that kingdom would be established. When it was established with him, and he being the one that they would come to, to call the Messiah, the, 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 the anointed one or chosen one. The, you know, when he would come, David's line would be established, and from that point on, it would be established forever. We've talked about this before, but one of the problems that the Jewish people of Jesus' day had accepting who Jesus was, was that he didn't immediately establish that kingdom because that's what they thought remember we i mentioned this two weeks ago that uh you know john the baptist who, who christ himself said was the most righteous man who who basically ever existed but he's in prison and he sends messengers to jesus going are you the one you know the same one who declared him to be the one when he saw him coming toward him you know blessed is the lamb who comes in, the, in, in you know it basically is the savior of the world. He understood that, but it, when the kingdom didn't happen, which was what he was expecting, he started to doubt. And, 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 you know, like we talked about two weeks ago, Jesus didn't go into any great, like, debates with him. He just sent the messengers back and said, tell him what you see. The blind see, the lame walk. Tell him what you see. There's no doubt that I am who I am because look at what I do. You know, but the people had, a, it's like a mental block trying to get past the fact that Christ didn't immediately establish that kingdom because that was their expectation. So that was what was always there in their mind, that idea of, the, of a Davidic, uh, you know, relative of a king coming who would establish that kingdom forever from that point on. Well, that is what Christ will do someday. But we understand now, you know, as we have the New Testament, we understand that that is at his second coming, and that's kind of what we're talking about right now. And that kingdom age comes after his second coming. But the kingdom age was anticipated all throughout the Old Testament. And they based that, a lot of that anticipation upon the Davidic covenant, upon these promises that, that were made to David David, I'll establish you a house, and when I establish it, it will be forever. Okay? So that, that is kind of the, the, the basis for that. And, and you see very quickly as we go through some of these, these other passages, you'll see that connection uh, to that, that uh, line of David. Look at Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. Again, this is very... We read this at the time of the birth of Christ, and very rightly so, because that is part of the fulfillment of Christ at his, his birth, that he is that king. 
But, but a lot of times we don't read kind of like the, the, the second part of it or don't pay attention to it. Look at verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, for, for a, uh, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And that's usually where we end. Seven, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord God Almighty will accomplish this. Very clearly, the chosen one that is coming was seen as the one who would be established as the, as the Davidic king the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Jump over to, to chapter 16, verse 5. We're just going to stay in Isaiah here for, uh, for this verse yet, and then we're going to turn over to Jeremiah. Isaiah 16, 5. In, lo uh, in love, a throne will be established. In faithfulness, a man will sit on it. One from the house of David, one who in judging seeks justice, and speeds the cause of righteousness. So we see again Isaiah write that one is coming in, you know, in the house of David, uh, and, and he will reign and he will judge righteously. Jump over to Jeremiah. Start at chapter 23, and look at verses 5 and 6 of Jeremiah 23. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will, will live in safety. This is the, the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness, Savior. Look over at chapter uh, 33 of Jeremiah. Verses 14 through 17. <clears throat> the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from, the, from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. Uh, for this is what the Lord says. David will never fail to have a man to sit on the, on the throne of Israel, uh, not with the Levitical priests ever, nor will the Levitical priests ever fail to have a man to stand before me continually to offer burnt offerings, to, uh, to burn grain sacrifices, and to present sacrifices. Um, it, it, it's interesting we see a connection here to the Davidic covenant and, 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 and this descendant of David, the Messiah, as the ruler, but we also see it speak kind of as, as priest also, which is interesting uh, because that's something that the New Testament develops uh, later on also. Uh, so, you know, we don't really need to go any further with that. Just basically wanted to establish the fact that this is a kind of continual view of the, in the Old Testament uh, and we see it particularly in Isaiah and Jeremiah. Um, I do want to read one more verse in regards to this, uh, in, in regards to the Messiah being the one who will, will be the ruler of this kingdom. We're going to turn to the New Testament for this one. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 1, to, to the, the birth narrative of, of Christ, story of his birth. But I want you to see what is told to Mary. I want, you, I want us to look at verses thirty through 33 of Luke chapter 1. This is what the angel says to Mary. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. See, again, you know, because our focus is not necessarily on this when we read these sections, oftentimes we kind of miss 
that Mary is told by the angel before Christ is ever born, she's told, don't be afraid because guess what? You are going to have the Messiah. The child that, that you are going to, to have is going to be the one who will sit on David's throne. You know, it, it, he will fulfill the Davidic covenant. So Jesus is clearly at the center of this kingdom. It, it is the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of the Messiah. And that's really all Christ is. Christ is the kind of the, the Greek version of Messiah, the anointed one, okay? So, you know, this, this is, is the kingdom of the Messiah. Now, let's look at some of the things it says about the nature of his reign. Uh, what, what will it be like? Um, we saw some things, obviously, in the earlier verses, but uh, let's, let's kind of pick up a, a few more things here of what the reign of the Messiah will be like. Turn over to Psalms chapter 72. We'll begin there. This is a lengthy section, but I would like to read this entire section. I'm going to read the, uh, not the entire psalm, uh, because verse 20 basically says this concludes the prayers of, of David, the son of Jesse. So that doesn't, you know, it's kind of a conclusion. But I want to read verses 1 through 19 uh, of this psalm, because I think this is a, this is a pretty amazing uh, you know, statement. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish, and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him, for he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and, and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, from, from, uh, for precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given him. May people uh, ever pray for him. And bless him all day long. May grain abound throughout the land. On the tops of the hills may it sway. May the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all nations will be blessed through him and they will, uh, they will call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Essentially, in many ways, this was a wish for the kings of Israel. This is how God wanted the kings to rule. But we know that was never fulfilled by any of the kings, even the best, could never fulfill that. But there was a fulfillment looked for by the Jewish people one day when a king would come and fulfill all the beauty of that passage, all the gorgeous poetry of that passage, a king one day will fulfill those things, and it will be the Messiah when he reigns. So that's a, a kind of an overall poetic picture of what the kingdom was to look like with the justice and, and the love and, and the attention to God's people uh, that, was, that was supposed to be there one day in the kingdom. Turn back over to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 2. We'll go back to Isaiah chapter 2. I want to read a couple verses there that we didn't read the first time. Because um, they speak about the nature of this kingdom. I want to read verses 1 through 4. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, uh, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the, mountains, the mountain of the Lord's uh, temple will be established uh, as the highest of the mountains, it will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. 
many people will come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people. They will beat their, their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. The Old Testament envisions the kingdom of God as being the center of peace. A place of learning where people will come to see the Messiah, the King, and he will teach people his ways. Nations will flood to it, will flock to it. Well, that's different than it is now, isn't it? Well, most of the nations want nothing but to destroy it. Someday the nations will stream into it, the Bible says. To have the blessing and be taught the ways of the king. It's a beautiful picture. No one will ever... Not only will no one ever go to war within his kingdom, they won't even teach war. They won't think about war. It won't be on their mind. You know, it it will be a, a very different type of kingdom, a kingdom of great peace. Look at chapter 11 of Isaiah, verses 6 through 9. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, Uh, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on, on my holy mountain." For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Pretty amazing, isn't it? I almost brought a video in today to show with this. Uh, The idea of that child sitting down beside the cobra's den is, is, if you guys know anything about cobras, and I don't know if, if, if you do or if you don't, but cobras are amazing creatures. Beautiful and powerful, amazingly intelligent for a snake. There's, there's a guy actually that you, you, can, you can watch his videos. I'll throw in a little endorsement for his videos here on, on, on things like, like YouTube and, and Facebook and stuff like that. A guy named Tyler Chandler who has a, uh, a, a, a basically an an, a animal ranch, a reptile ranch and stuff down in Florida. Uh, and, and he's an expert handlers and this isn't like crocodile hunter or whatever the heck that was where they're kind of going out finding them almost to tease them and you know see if they'll bite them uh you know this is a guy that handles them like when he's cleaning their cages and stuff and other than that he doesn't like you know play with them and everything Uh, but he has a 15 foot male malaysian king cobra and i'll tell you you watch a video of him handling that snake, that is an awe-inspiring thing to watch. The sheer respect that a great handler of snakes has when dealing with that snake is amazing. And that cobra is probably as big around as my arm. And when he hoods up, he's probably bigger than my hand extended. It's astonishing. It's a little frightening to watch. And they are a fearsome creature. And in this Messiah's kingdom, a child will sit down beside a cobra's den and have no fear. I, I can't think of too many things after watching, having watched some of those videos, I can't think of too many things that would inspire a sense of peace and awe like a child sitting down beside a great big king cobra. That's amazing. It, what a picture. And, and, and that's what we see here. That's the nature of this kingdom. 
a nature of peace, peace between God and man, peace between men, peace between beast and beast, peace between man and beast. Peace overarching the kingdom of the Messiah. Turn over to Isaiah 19, verses 23 through 25. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. And the Egyptians and and Assyrians will worship together. In that day Israel will be the third along, along with Egypt and Assyria. A blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them Uh, saying, blessed to be Egypt my people, Assyria my handiwork, and Israel my inheritance. Boy, you talk about a change. The Egyptians and the Assyrians were constant plagues upon Israel during their time. And now the, the peoples there basically hate Israel. And they, are the, they were the two, the two of the great kingdoms on two sides of, of where Israel is at. Essentially, it's kind of a picture of Israel surrounded between the two. But he says that in, the, in this kingdom, in the millennial kingdom, there's actually going to be a highway that's going to run from one to the other, which means it's going through Israel. And they're going to pass through to get to one another, and together they're going to come to Israel and they're going to worship God together. I don't get a lot better than that. And God is going to look at them and he's going to say, they are my people also. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Isaiah 35. Starting at verse 1. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees uh, that, that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the, and the mute tongue uh, shout with joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. Uh, the unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. Again, God's going to turn a desert into another Eden. You know, one of the, the, the themes that we see throughout the Bible is how, uh, you know, man took Eden and lost Eden and God had to kick him out of it. And you see that theme repeated throughout the rest of, of especially of the prophets, speaking uh, about God kind of taking Edenic type of things and people losing, the, you know, Eden. But they also go the, the, the converse, that one day God is going to bring back an Edenic state. And that's what the kingdom of God is seen as. He's going to, to take the desert and turn it into a new Eden. He's going to take our pains and make them go away. I don't know about you. That sounds pretty good. You know, it's, it's funny. As I've gotten older, we, you know, we talk a lot about how, man, it really stinks getting old. If you haven't gotten there yet, just hang on. It'll get you shortly. It does. You know, it's tough growing old. As they say, you know, age is not for the faint of heart. A group of us went and shot sporting clays yesterday for the benefit of the Capital Area Pregnancy Center. 
ask any one of us like how we're feeling this morning, like what the shoulders feel like and things like that. Yeah, you can feel those pains. You got to see Rodney. He looked like he got beat up. Hey, God says one day he's going to change all that. That's not going to happen in his kingdom. Man, I, that sounds pretty good for me. I, he sold me right on that. Isaiah 62, like I said, Isaiah has a lot to say about this. Verses 1 through 5, for Zion's sake I will not keep silent, for Jerusalem's sake I will not remain quiet, till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see her vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name you in your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah uh, and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take uh, delight in you. Uh, and your land w will be married. By the way, that's what Hephzibah and Beulah mean. The Lord delights and, and married, married. So he's saying here to Israel for all the, the desolation. And remember what Jesus said to them in, in Matthew 23, right before his death, when he looked out and he said, you know, he cried over them and he said, I wanted to gather you together. But he said, you know, you, you did not want it. You rejected it, essentially. He says, and now you are left desolate. You are left desolate. You are left without the blessings that could have been yours. Well, the Old Testament prophets foresaw that. And here Isaiah says that they will no longer uh, be, call you deserted or, your name, uh, or name your land desolate. You will be called Hephzibah, delight, and your land Beulah, married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. The, the kingdom of God will be a fulfillment of all those promises that God made to Israel, and, and, and it will be essentially a bringing back to life of Israel. I, I want to turn to Ezekiel. Oh, man. I shouldn't have looked at the clock. I want to turn to Ezekiel. Back when we studied the Gog and Magog passage, I said, if we had time, we may go look at the dry bones passage. I want to close today just briefly talking about that, just part of that, the dry bones passages, because that's the very thing that Isaiah was talking about there in, in chapter 62 um, of, of Isaiah. Ezekiel uh, 37, I, I want to read verses 1 through 14. And this is, this is that pr prophecy of Israel coming back to life. Coming back to life in righteousness. The hand of the Lord was upon me. This is Ezekiel saying this. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought, uh, brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord to set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you. And you will come to life, and I will attach tendons to you, and make flesh come upon you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, the, the, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on, on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. 
So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy to them. This is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. That's all the further we're going to go with that, but basically it's a beautiful picture. And, and to a certain degree, we saw the fulfillment of that when God brought them back from Babylon. But we never saw it to its full degree. Never to the way that God truly wanted to restore his people. And again, at, at the death of Christ, we see a nation, by Jesus' own dec- declaration, that had become desolate because they had rejected their Messiah. And the prophets of old foresaw that coming. The Holy Spirit prophesied its its coming. He also prophesied a time where those dry bones would be breathed into and be brought back to life. I want you to think about the imagery of the, 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 the breath going into them. What, what is, is said about Adam when God molded and made Adam? He said he breathed into him the breath of life. It's a beautiful, intimate picture. It's almost like the picture of a kiss. Of God's love and, and for Adam. Most of the world at, at the time that, that God gave that prophecy to Moses, the people around Israel, the Egyptians, the you know, the, the, the Canaanites, where they were going to, they had all these vastly different views of how the world had come into existence and, and all the gods and the fights and everything that had gone on between them in order to create the world. And man meant very little to them. Man was nothing more than fodder for their wars or, or slaves to, to bring the gods of the things they needed. But in the midst of that picture, God gave Moses that that story of of the creation. And in that, when God created Adam by hand, very purposefully made him what he is, and then he breathed into his mouth the breath of life. That's a picture of a God who cares about his people who loves them and and with great purpose and and love made them who they are. The Bible says he made them in his image. Mankind has great purpose to the true God. He loves us. He created us to be his and to have fellowship with him. He loves Israel. And just like he said when he made Adam come to life. He says one day he will breathe breath into Israel again and cause it to come back to life. It's a beautiful picture. It's a picture that was anticipated by the Old Testament prophets. It's a picture that will play itself out one day in the coming of of the kingdom of the Messiah. Next week we we will finish with this. We'll talk about uh, people reigning with Christ, which we'll get to, to Tim's question. Uh, who are these people who are, are going to, uh, to reign with Christ? And we're going to look at, at the, you know, the, the church age saints. We're going to look at, at tribulation saints, um, you know, Old Testament and David. We'll look at the apostles. You know, what's the Bible say about these people reigning with Christ? Uh, you know, we're going to look at, at uh, kind of the land covenant. Uh, we'll, we'll look at, at the millennial temple. Uh, we'll look at, like, is there a 75-day inter- interval between the end of the um, events of the tribulation and the beginning of the second, or uh, beginning of the millennial kingdom? This will hopefully a- uh, answer Doreen's question about when does this actually begin. We'll, we'll, that, we'll, we're going to look at all that stuff next week. 
okay? So, you know, read a bunch of stuff. I, I can't tell you to read one passage because it's all over the place. Uh, so do, do, do some homework. Uh, do some reading this week, uh, you know, especially in places like Isaiah and Ezekiel uh, and, and Jeremiah uh, and Daniel. Uh, so you got a big assignment this week. All you got to do is read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel this week. You can handle it. You can handle it, okay? Um, and and we'll, we'll, look at, uh, we'll look at these passages then next week. Let's uh, close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I, I just am so thankful to you as I just think about this kingdom, as we anticipate your son on the throne, the peace and the prosperity and the beauty, the holiness, the justice of, of his reign. Uh, it is something, Father, that we do long for. We look forward to that day. It, it will be a beautiful, beautiful time. And I thank you that we will have a place in it, that we will be at your side in the midst of it all. So, Father, we glorify you. We lift you up. We praise you for all that you do, all that you have done, all that you will do. Uh, Father, we just uh, pray that you would help us right now in our lives help us to live for you forgive us of our sins father for they are many forgive us of our sins and lift us up and make us more and more like your son we ask this in the name of christ amen